Exodus chapter 20, really the whole book of Exodus is going to be our, our main place today. We're continuing a sermon series going through the Ten Commandments. We started that a few weeks ago. We're, we're trying right now to just take it one commandment at a time. So today we find ourselves on commandment number three, which has to do with the name of God, which is from what I talked about in the scripture reading, some of the songs that Tony led us in, the holy, reverent name of God. And as I was thinking about names, one of the things that I thought of this week was, what do you do when you meet somebody? Let's practice it here. I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to meet all of you at once. You ready? Hello, my name is Jody. What is your name? Okay, see, this is how it feels every Sunday morning for me because I meet so many people between both services. I really want to remember people's names, but sometimes it's hard to do that. Uh, But I am intentional about remembering names. The problem is when I meet somebody, and I don't know if anybody else does this, maybe it's just me, but you get so focused on what you're going to talk to that person about. Anybody do that? You get focused on the discussion that the name doesn't register, and then maybe you have to come back and say, hey, can you remind me of your name again? Now, each Sunday morning as we meet lots of people and it's quick interactions and we're wearing masks, it's not always easy to do that, so we're not perfect in remembering names. But we want to remember somebody's name because your name is part of your identity. It's part of who you are. It embodies who you are. And if somebody remembers your name, you feel valued. If somebody forgets your name or calls you the wrong name, or misspells your name, you may feel, you know, underappreciated, like somebody didn't care enough to know who you are. And sometimes through life we're called different names. Maybe we receive nicknames, or maybe a close friend or family members calls you by different names. Uh, I made a list of all the things that I've been called in my life, and I won't share all of them with you, but uh, the most common one is Joseph. Because legally, that is my name. Uh, My parents named me Joseph. It's on my birth certificate. It's on my driver's license. But they've called me Jody since the time I was born. So to me, that is my name. But if I go to a doctor's office or somewhere official, you know, you pay attention when the nurse opens that door to call the next patient back, she'll say, Joseph. And I have to pay real close attention and realize, oh, she's talking about me, even though that's not me, but it kind of is me. But I know that she doesn't really know me because she's just reading a name off of a paper. Sometimes people call me, I have a friend that calls me preacher man because I'm a preacher. And I know some people that call me preacher because I think they honestly don't remember my name, but they know that I am a preacher, so they just say preacher. I had a friend growing up, and he still does this some, just calls me JG because that's my initials. My wife will often call me Joe, and then I thought about how I had a coach in high school that when he would see me in the hallways, he would say, Jody, Joe, and I thought that was really cool because, for one, he remembered my name, but also he knew me well enough, or at least he felt like he knew me well enough to give me some sort of of a nickname. I, I know somebody who calls me Reverend, which if you know Church of Christ very well, you know there's a kind of a joke in that because I'm not a reverend. But it made me think about how every time I've officiated a funeral, and you walk in, you receive a program, funeral homes do not know what to do with Church of Christ ministers and their titles. If you've ever noticed that, you know, most people are are pastor or reverend or whatever it may be. For me, it's always bro Jody Garner, which they don't know what to call me, which I'll take that bro. Okay, that's what the funeral home calls me. My favorite name is Dad. 
because that's what my two kids call me. And that represents what I am to them. I am their dad. And as a parent, one of the first things that we do for our children is one of the most important things we do for them because it sticks with them the rest of their life is we give them a name. And most parents that I know, including our, myself and Jessica, we, we took that task very serious and we, we went through all the names that we could possibly think of and we thought about different people that we knew that had that name from our past. So we thought, well, we can't name him that because that guy was mean back then when we were in junior high or whatever. So when my daughter was born, uh, we named her Addie because that was a name that we agreed on and we liked, but her name is A-D-D-I-E, Addie. It's not short for Adeline or Addison. I realize lots of girls are Addie, but that's maybe one of the things that distinguishes her. We gave her the middle name Claire because when Jessica was pregnant with Addie, we were living in Africa, and we worked with a lady named Marie Claire, and we knew several Rwandan ladies named Claire. So her middle name means something. We, we gave her the name Claire because it represented a lot of those ladies that we worked with and highly respected. My son, his name is Christian, and some of you may know this, but he has a strange middle name, or at least it's not common. His middle name is Mordecai. That's because when we found out we were having a boy, I jokingly told people we were going to name him Mordecai. For one, it's just kind of a random name for the Bible, but also one of the meanings in Hebrew is warrior. So I would tell people my son's name is going to be Mordecai, which really, because Jessica didn't like it, that's why I kept doing it. But then our daughter, who was three at the time, picked up on that, and she started telling everybody, my brother's name is Mordecai. So when he was born, we were like, we're definitely not naming him Mordecai, but we've got to keep it in there somewhere. So we gave him the middle name, Mordecai. So for both of my kids, their, their middle name has more of a story behind their first name. Regardless, as parents, we name our children. And that's a serious task. Names matter. Names matter to all of us, to me, to you, because... That's a part of who you are. Names matter to our children, and as it turns out, names matter to God. And in the third commandment, which is where we find ourselves today, the first two commandments we've looked at the last couple of weeks, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That's verse 3. The second commandment is what we looked at last week, no idols, no making of idols, no worshiping or bowing down to them. That's verses Four through six, that's commandment number two. And now commandment number three is verse seven. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Now I just read to you from a new revised standard version. And if you are reading, let's say from an NIV, the way it's worded is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, or most commonly, ESV, probably a New King James. Famously, the way the world knows this command is, you shall not take the Lord's name in what? In vain, right? That's the way we most commonly know it. There's a, another translation called the Common English Bible, CEB, and the way they translate it is this, do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. I think we get the point. Commandment number three is short and simple. Honor God's name. God's name is holy. Don't treat it like it's not holy. Don't misuse it. Don't make wrongful use of it. And then only four out of the ten commandments have an added comment that go with it, and this is one of those. 
And look at kind of the warning that follows misusing God's name or making wrongful use or taking the Lord's name as vain is that God will not acquit anyone who does that. God will not hold you guiltless. Okay, that's kind of vague and kind of a scary warning. So what do we do with commandment number three? What does it mean to us? How do we interpret it? Most commonly, I would say that the way that we would view this command, the way that we've come to understand this command is the way that we talk. We live in this culture, in this world, with most of the TV shows that we watch and movies that we watch or songs that we listen to or the things that we say, the things that we text, the things that we put on social media is when we are angry, frustrated, frightened, Whatever it may be, we like to use God's name or the name of Jesus. Or when I say we, I mean our culture. Often, people use God's name in the form of profanity. In fact, we use it so often, or people use it so often, that we've abbreviated it even to OMG. Now, for some people, that just rolls off the tongue like it's nothing. But for those who have maybe lived your life taking commandment number three somewhat serious, maybe that's cringeworthy when you hear that. And I know a lot of you feel that way. Like we shouldn't just toss around God's name carelessly and callously as if it were powerless because God's name is holy. We're not supposed to misuse it. We're not supposed to take it in vain. In fact, Jews have this practice where They don't even pronounce the name of Yahweh in order to make sure they're not misusing it. And through time, the Jews, instead of saying Yahweh, would would often refer to God as Adonai in a way to not overpronounce or overuse or potentially or accidentally misuse the name of God or Yahweh. And during Jesus' life and ministry, you could look at Luke 11, you could look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer. And if you remember the Lord's Prayer, which I'm a big proponent of saying the Lord's Prayer or incorporating that into our own prayer life, he says, our Father who is in heaven, what does he say next? Yeah, most of you said, hallowed be thy name, or maybe an NIV way of saying it is, holy is your name. The very beginning of that prayer that Jesus teaches, he's teaching us that God's name is holy. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. We are to treat it with reverence because his name is holy. So in one sense, the way that we view and interpret commandment number three is we need to be careful with the way that we use God's name because we live in a culture that's become very comfortable with just tossing it around like it's nothing. However, I do think there's more layers to how we could misuse God's name, and I'll get there in just a moment. But let's go back to Exodus chapter 3, and let's look at where we get the name Yahweh. I'm just going to read through a few verses here of this interaction at the burning bush between, between God and Moses. As God appears to Moses in the burning bush, and he's getting ready to call Moses into service, to go to Pharaoh, to bring the people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And they have this back-and-forth conversation that's fascinating in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. But I'm going to hone in on verse 13 through 15. Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
The question that Moses has, he's like, okay, we know you as God. In Hebrew, it's Elohim, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, but what's your name? What do I tell them? And then look at God's response, which is now famous in most Christian circles. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. He said further, thus thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. If you've ever heard God referred to as, somebody refers to him as the I am or the great I am, we even have a a song about that. This is where it comes from, Exodus chapter 3. Now, as followers of Christ, we look at the New Testament, and some of you may be thinking of the Gospel of John, where Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, seven major times, uses this, what we call these I am statements, where Jesus takes on the identity of God, uh, equality with God, when he says, I am the bread of life, or he says, I am the good shepherd, or I am the resurrection, the life, or I am the way and the truth and the life. What Jesus is doing in the Gospel of John is taking us back right here to this burning bush moment where God says, I am. And Jesus has taken on that identity. But God doesn't stop there. In verse 15, we often don't, we don't go this far and read this part, but God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord. Now, in the NRSV, it capitalizes every letter in the name, the Lord. So kind of following along with I will be who I will be or I am who I am, the name he gives is, in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Just four letters. They don't have vowels in Hebrew, so it's four consonants, and it's sometimes known as the tetragrammaton. It's Y-H-W-H, the way we would translate it in English, Yahweh. That's the name that the Lord our God, Yahweh, gives to Moses here at the burning bush. And this is what he goes on to say, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. But this is where we get the Lord. God is Elohim. The Lord is Yahweh. And that's the name that the Lord gives to Moses here. Now, if you're following our Bible reading plan, which hopefully some of you are, we've gone through some tough chapters in the book of Exodus over the last week or so, but earlier this past week, you would have read from Exodus chapter 33. And in Exodus 33, you have this kind of remarkable, this is after the Ten Commandments are given, this conversation between God and Moses, and Moses wants to see God's glory. And he asked, he said, I pray that you show me your glory. And God's response to Moses in Exodus 33 and verse 19 is, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name of Yahweh, the name of the Lord. The first response that Moses gets is, you want to see my glory, I'm going to proclaim my name to you, and hearing my name will be like seeing my glory. So, we come back now, commandment number three. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Don't make wrongful use of that name. Don't misuse the name of the Lord because that name is holy. 
So if we're going to take this commandment serious, we may have to ask ourselves, well, how in what ways maybe do we misuse this name? And one of the ways I've already pointed out is with careless language. Careless, callous language, treating God's name as if it were nothing, as if it were just a name that we can use when we're frustrated, when we're mad, or when we're shocked. So that's something that we have to be aware of. With the language that we use, do we allow God's name to be holy, or do we just toss it around like it's nothing? That's one layer of it, and that's probably the most common way that people view this, but there's a, there's a few more layers to this. And just kind of a shortened point up here, a bullet point I put for your own agenda. And here's what I mean by that. The name of the Lord our God and the name of Jesus Christ comes with a lot of power. The name is powerful. And for years in the ancient world, let's, say, let's use magicians as an example, they might try to use the name of Jesus or use the name of the Lord to promote their business for personal gain or financial gain, not because they are in love with God and they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but they're trying to use God's name to get rich. We see that throughout the book of Acts. And it's possible to try, and sometimes we do this in ways we don't even realize we're doing it, but to use the name of the Lord our God to promote our own agenda. And one of the ways, and maybe there's some gray areas in this, and one of the ways that I see that, though, in our own own culture today is it's common for people sometimes to say, God told me, and then fill in the blank. God told me to tell you this. Now, I am in no way going to limit how God chooses to communicate to individuals or to families or to churches. God wants to do that. God will do that. And I know plenty of people who say that that has happened. The problem with that is, and I think about my own life and your life, if somebody quotes you, or somebody's talking to somebody else and they say, so-and-so said this and it's not true. We don't like that. We don't like for somebody to make up something that we didn't say. We don't like for somebody to twist our words. So if we're going to claim that God told us something, let's make sure that this is accurate. It's not just something that we wanted in our subconscious or maybe some agenda that we wanted to promote so we slap God's name on it because we know there's power in the name. Hopefully that makes sense. Basically, we should be cautious and careful when tossing around language like that because we want to make sure that we're not just using God's name to try and promote our own agenda. But we want to get in line with what God's agenda is, and most importantly, we find that in His Word. Now, again, I am not going to limit the power of God and His ability to communicate. In fact, I've quite often, even in the last year, experienced what I felt like was a leading of the Holy Spirit, guidance from the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, it's easier for me to look back on that and say, that was definitely God working through me in that because I couldn't have done that on my own. This is just a warning of caution to make sure that we don't misuse God's name by using the power of that name, to use it as a trump card or whatever you want to, you know, like if you have a program or you're having an argument with someone and, and you want to finalize it, you can say, well, God told me this is what we need to do. Well, sometimes people can abuse that just to get their 
event or whatever it is they want to cross. So we can misuse the name of the Lord with our careless language, but also with trying to promote our own agenda. So we need to be aware of that. And then maybe a third layer of how we potentially take the Lord's name in vain and maybe not even realize it is with our life, with our actions. You've probably heard before people say things like, they give the family a bad name. Or maybe somebody said that about you. I hope not. Or maybe we, you've said things about people like they have a bad name. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that the name on somebody's birth certificate is bad or wrong. What that means is that person has a bad reputation. That's what it means by saying somebody has a bad name. That person is shady. Maybe they don't always tell the truth, and you need to be cautious dealing with that person or doing business with that person. And for us, as followers of Jesus, we represent the name of the Lord our God, the name of Jesus Christ. A couple of years ago as a church, we asked you to memorize Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following, I think it's 14 through 21, but the first part of that, Paul starts this prayer off in Ephesians 3 by saying, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. We are all children of God, and God has given us His name. Or if you could take that a step further, uh, one example I was thinking of is 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, where Peter writes, if any of you suffers as a Christian, that's one of the few times in the New Testament the title Christian is used. Most often, it's disciples or members of the way. But as time went on in the first century, followers of Christ were referred to as Christians, Christ people, Christ followers. If you suffer as a Christian, Peter says, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear this name. And maybe we just need to be reminded that for those of you, through your baptism, have confessed Jesus as Lord, and you believe that Jesus Christ is who He says He is, and we are followers of Jesus, we bear that name. We get to represent that name. That becomes our family name. So the way that we live represents that name. When you get in the car today to head home, whether or not you choose to start gossiping about the other people that you went to church with or other people that you know, that's part of how you represent the name. It's choosing not to gossip. Or if you go to a restaurant today and you sit down and you're rude to your waiter or your waitress and you're impatient with them, remember, you represent the name. When you go to work this week, when you go to school, we probably need to remember that we represent the name. Or as Peter says, we bear that name. So the commandment is, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We need to be careful with the language that we use. We need to make sure we're not using God's name just to promote our own agenda. And we also need to remember that the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we interact with people, the way that we talk, that we represent the name of the Lord our God. We represent the name of Jesus Christ. And commandment number three reminds me that names matter. Your name matters. It's part of your identity, who you are. I feel like my name matters. My kids' names matter. 
and the name of God matters. And in that prayer that Jesus teaches, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Another way of looking at the Greek is, may your name be made holy. It's a request in the sense that with the way that we live, may we make your name holy. So let's live like people who care about the fact that we represent the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've never put on Christ in baptism, if you've never become a follower of Jesus, let me read you two passages just to think about as we conclude this sermon. One of those, both are coming from the New Testament. One is from Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, where the apostles who were given these early gospel sermons said this, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That name that they're referring to is the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. No other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then the other passage is Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Paul is writing what we would call the Christ hymn, or it's known as the Christ hymn. And towards the end of this Christ hymn, he says in verse 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And then he goes on to verse 11 and say, and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you've never confessed Jesus Christ is Lord, if you never not only bowed your knee, but bowed your heart and your life, submitting your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe today's a good day to do that or start that conversation about being baptized into Christ. Or if you're out there and you know you've kind of just been floating around on autopilot the last year, months, whatever it may be, and you want to rededicate your life under the the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, we're about to sing an invitation song. And we have elders that will be around this room. Some will be up front, and they're ready to receive you. They're ready to pray with you and meet you with wherever you're at. I'm going to invite Tony back up here to sing this invitation song, and I'll invite you to stand while we sing.